Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. First part of the new year. 2020. Yeah. How's it feel being in the 2020s? The roaring 20s. The howling, ravening, (laughs) gasping, screaming, strangulated 20s. How was okay? So how was your Christmas? Um, it was it was okay. It was one of those weird ones. I, I'm older now. I don't. I mean, I don't have kids or anything, but uh, I have more pressures on my time than maybe I would have in my tw- in my twenties, in my howling, ravening twenties. <laughs> and it just kind of seemed to go by. I was at work through through most of the off days. Yeah, you were at work a lot. And it it just becomes one of those things where you think you're going to have a lot of time and you don't. Yeah, um, my boiler almost killed me. Cool. In the family, so that was a nice surprise. Three thousand pound to spend. Yay, Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then our car almost killed the girls when they were off up to Norfolk. So then we had to buy a new car. So you know, there's a lot of surprise. Oh god! Like, <laughs> like, so we were doing like all right for money. It's like things are. As all right as they can be when you've got a kid at university. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, <clears throat> bam! <laughs> no money. Well, I mean, when you're an adult, it's very difficult to replicate the surprise of Christmas of, ooh, what's, yeah. what's under the tree? It turns out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a boiler and a car. Yeah, carbon monoxide and gas and a car <laughs> that tried to murder my girls. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's, that's weird. Yeah. Bit, uh, but, um, yeah, it's weird going into the new year now. Um, well, I mean, we have the obvious kind of down note of how of twenty nineteen and and yeah. kind of uh, having all of the leadership, labour leadership stuff straddling all of that is yeah. like a constant test. I, I don't think it's really. It's kind of started to hit me in the in the last week or so how unifying Corbyn actually was as a figure within the party. Amongst the membership, yeah. Amongst the membership. Amongst the left membership, yeah. And and how like distinct strands, I can't even recognise like most of the people you follow and how mm-hmm. you get your kind of stuff. But I mean the Guardian have started doing a uh, sign in to continue um thing on their on their website. So it means I haven't read any Guardian articles, which is fantastic. It's done more than for my mental health <laughs> than time off over Christmas. Yeah, I took a nice I took a big break off Twitter. Um I got some New Year's resolutions. That, mm-hmm. um, I, I like. I've been like since about. It's like coming up on five years now. Yeah. Where like I quit smoking, quit animal products, and like each year I've tried, I've tried to do something. This year I've got, you tried to restrict yourself even more. Yeah. This and year somehow I've, you've become even more bacchanalian. <laughs> it is interesting. Like that. <laughs> well, like um, uh, New Year's is like, oh yeah, I'm not, I don't, I don't eat meat. I don't have any dairy, anything like that. Um, so the only food I can eat are these olives. Everyone ate all the olives. It's like, oh, fine, then I'll just drink two bottles of vodka. <laughs> Full. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this year, I, partic- I think this will be the hardest one, harder than going vegan, harder than quitting smoking. Yeah. And that's um, going to read all of One Piece. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> one Piece, if you don't know, is, an ad- is a manga. It's a very long manga. Japanese manga. I think, I can check now. We are on... Chapter do, 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 967. Of? That's the one that's what's up to at the moment. I am on chapter 241. So I'm <laughs> you blast to... through that. Yeah, yeah, it's what happens when you take a break off Twitter. <laughs> and you read about the sweet adventures of some sweet pirates. I've learned a lot about piracy. And yeah. all the history books have taught me 
stuff about piracy very wrong because piracy is yeah. all about friendship. <laughs> but yeah, so like, um, and you know, my, the other one is like, I want us to try and sort out getting maybe having some interviews with some people to have on the pod. There's some people that want to be on the pod, and there's people that I like that I would like to have on the pod. Yeah, so I, I mean, do something like that in the, um, as we're in the new year. Now, eat like eat up some time on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eat um, up a couple of episodes over the year. Yeah, <laughs> um, we, uh, yeah, I'll get on to that. Yeah, we will have. Um, we would traditionally do our year end awards. Yeah. Um, but I haven't finished them yet. <laughs> yeah, we're so done. we're doing this. This episode is kind of a sandwich episode where we're just going to talk about some things. Yeah, and we'll do the New Year's one on. We're recording that. I think we're going to record that on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be this weekend. And then I'll start releasing them because I'm not going to release them in a big block because it's a long, it'll be long. It's a, it was a long year last year. It was incredibly long. I've gone through my screenshots folder to remind me of things that happened and then uh, kind of went into my like Twitter saved mm-hmm. photos and it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's not quite as long, but still several hundred things to remember. Remember that time when Boris hid in the fridge? Because I didn't right until the <laughs> right until I'd put in about it wasn't even that long ago <laughs> about thirty hours, forty hours of work. Jesus, it's insane that so there's so much stuff happened last year. It's and it's also the way it's like the way we we absorb it now. Yeah. Like if I was trawling through the papers, probably just as much would have happened. Yeah, like if we didn't have the internet or something. Yeah. If I was trawling through like solid book sources, there would probably still be as much. Mm. It's just. None of it makes sense. It's all very fragmented and trying to fit it into some kind of continuity is the ongoing drama of all of our lives. <laughs> so um, the main thing I want to talk about this week, um, well, one of the first things I want to talk about. You've taken a deep dive, haven't you? Because I, I, last time last time something happened, you were the one who took the bullet for the team and yeah. went diving into Mexit Twitter. Yeah. Um, hashtag not our duchess. Um, Hashtag Duchess of Deception, as yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. That was a good one. That's a good one. Um, by good, I mean horrifying. Yeah. Um, but I did it this time. Um, yeah, it's definitely got nothing to do with racism. No, so let's do like Harry and Meghan are ditching um, and are going to run away to Canada for six months. Yeah, they, they, they made a statement that they were going to step back from public duties, mm-hmm. um, become, as it were, like they didn't work actually to the, become financially work to become financially independent in inverted commas and like basically become private citizens ish. Yeah, kind of. Um, and yeah, spend six months in Canada, six months here, yeah. that kind of shit. And I get it. Yeah. Like, I went on holiday to Canada last year. Like, politics aside, that country is very pretty, and Canadians are generally quite polite. And there's a lot of fried food. <laughs> I can get it. It's nicer than like it's nicer than living in Berkshire. Um, and yeah, it's got nothing to do with racism. I can tell you that. I have definitely not seen words that written on Twitter that I haven't seen. I haven't seen or heard since my grandmother died. <laughs> um, or Boris Johnson didn't hold the elected office. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Oh jeez! Oh, <laughs> it's gonna be—it's gonna be that thing. It's like, oh shit! Yeah, of course, because yeah, he's—he said Pickett and he said he. Yeah, it's—it's it's like quite. It's quite re- it's quite revealing. It's quite revealing. Yeah. Oh, let me just consult my media studies tome to see if I can read the subtext of what's going on here. It's mainly because every single um like interview or whatever that they've done, every single like talking head piece, analysis mm. piece. The presenter has really been under strain to explain why this isn't racist. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the, that's the big thing. Like, because of course, they don't say anything. They probably haven't even reported particularly on Meghan Markle, uh, Meghan, 
What's her second? Does she have a second name now? Is she still Megan Windsor? Is she Megan Windsor? I don't know. She's still. Me- they still call her Meghan Markle. Is that because is that cause, is that another fucking low key uh, like hate thing because they haven't accepted her, <laughs> so she doesn't deserve the name. <laughs> Such terrible gatekeeping on behalf of the royal family, <laughs> who own more gates than any actual gates than anybody in England. It's um yeah it, it I saw Philip Schofield was talking about how it wasn't racist yeah and this is the same Philip Schofield that like a month or two ago. Felt and said he like said he didn't doesn't see any racism he doesn't see racism doesn't see anti black racism anywhere uh-huh. um, but he felt completely empowered enough to like lecture Jeremy Corbyn on anti semitism yeah um, because and it's nice to see like it really starkly hierarchies of racism in the minds of the media <laughs> class what well, it is it's it's really it's you can tell you can tell like after you get when you get to a certain point that you've seen enough of those interviews mm-hmm. um, you get to know that. I feel like with a lot of it, racism isn't a really, really a thing that happens in their worldview. They're not trying to address racism. What they're trying to do is get themselves up to speed with everyone else. So he only like does Philip Schofield. I don't watch Good Morning Britain or, or not, not Good Morning Britain um, this morning. Yeah. Um, I presume he doesn't get that angry with his guests, but he felt empowered to be like that because that was the general like emotional tone that comes from everything else and yeah, it's the same he, with Meghan Markle yeah when he got really angry with um, Jeremy Corbyn it was like yeah he, it was it, Philip Schofield he looks and acts like a coward and he felt empowered enough to act like a bully hard man yeah because everyone else was um, and a lot of them feel the same with with Meghan Markle it's really obvious yeah um, and I don't understand well, I do understand. I understand completely why um, why people say it's got nothing to do with racism because they know it was to do with them. There's like a someone I saw someone post on Twitter today. Camilla Tomini, um, like in September, was like, "Oh yeah," telling Mega was like telling Meghan Markle and her entitled prince to just leave. And then like about a week ago, it's like, "Oh my God, you stopped the Queen and they're leaving," <laughs> and it's that kind of thing. They feel. I do think that a lot of the anger since the announcement is based on. Oh no! There's certainly a, something about the language. We wanted you... her gone, not the prince. <laughs> there's that's been a constant like 2019 thing. Mm. How dare you snub the queen? There's like to describe any action, to describe just doing what it is that was is within your power or your authority to do to either consult the queen or not in a political or mm. a personal sense or anything like that. She snubbed the queen, mm. and it's like a very, it's a very odd faux fogeyishness. Mm. About it, as if people really care about the snubbing bit, and it's 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 something about the the the, the distance and and the the kind of positions that are assumed in relation to the queen. Of like, you don't mean you're actually snubbing the queen. What you mean is you're snubbing them. Mm-hmm. You're snubbing the press. You're snubbing, or in the case of particular columnists, you're snub snubbing this very particular idea of patriotism and nationalism that has grown up that they seem to be very invested in promoting. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's um. No, it's, there's there's a member of my family on on Facebook mm. who she is properly down the rabbit hole now of like she if she had twitter she would be part of the hashtag duchess of deception yeah kind of shit. and you see some of the stuff that um that she posts mm. and it's just i think it's like of course you'd go why wouldn't you leave i don't think it's gonna end for them 
No. Even if they like, um, it's like there was all, all the has all the like furor over they didn't war- they didn't warn the queen before before they left mm. before they made this statement, and it's like. I I don't know. Maybe other people saw it differently, but the way the way I saw it is like you can if you look at it. Uh, when they did that ITV thing a while ago, mm. um, it wouldn't surprise me if they've literally been talking about doing this for months. Yeah, and it was literally going nowhere. And then there was the thing that the Sun were going to do an article about it, and mm. then they just release it. I think they did it because otherwise they were never going to be able to. It, like it, the only way to force them was to literally force their hand. And then and now they and now they can go because of course the queen's going to give them everything they want because you don't want to be seen as <laughs> what are they going to do kick them out? I th- I think there is a certain like... they won't kick out the pedophile. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a... also it is it is not at all fucking surprising that we've had more fucking press coverage of this than anything to do with fucking Prince Andrew. Yeah. Everybody knew that this would happen eventually. By this, I mean the combination of two very discreetly weird worlds, mm-hmm. which is Hollywood mm-hmm. and the Windsors. It's surprising it hasn't happened before. And they, they've kind of had test runs with, like, Diana and uh, even well, Sarah had, Ferguson to a certain it extent. The before was because of... Because of um, just, it was like when Harry had said that he was going to marry Meghan Markle and... Um, Prince Philip said, American actresses are for dating, not for marrying. <laughs> That's why it hasn't happened yet. It because co- now he's not powerful enough to literally hit him. <laughs> it does come at a very strange time as well, like um questions like all the all of the questions around like was patriotism good? Was yeah. nationalism uh, uh, taking back control mm-hmm. and the British's own relationship with their own like tradition and invented kind of national community mm. is at an all-time high lots of noise very little actual um like analysis or very little actual thought yeah around what it is supposed to be and everyone just kind of reacts to these things like oh no yeah no i know exactly what uh, what she should have done in that uh, in that situation mm-hmm. when it's like it's quite clear that they've decided that this is someone they can pick on <laughs> Yeah, this is somebody because you know it doesn't actually matter again with the snubbing of the queen. She could have lived in Canada most of the time, just absented herself. Like, would you know if any of the royal family, like where they were living at any particular point, whether they're on tour or whatever? She could have done that, but she did it publicly, and of course, she did it publicly because the main thing that the press care about is not that she's snubbing any kind of idea of national identity or the royal family or anything like like that. She's snubbing them. Yeah. And the one rule about the British press is that you have to play. You saw what happened with Diana. Diana announced probably like two or three times that she was stepping back from public mm. life. Absolutely nothing changed. No. Because they're a ravening horde of yeah. um incentive they're incentivized to 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 follow people like that and to make them into into celebs and to build them up and destroy them and they're expected to go along with that. Now, there's a certain give and take about the fact that you get certain privileges when you're part of that set, mm. but I can only think that her not... I mean, she wasn't a particularly prominent actress. I mean, she had that long-term gig on a, that telly show, that uh, Suits. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say... She was not She was probably, like, C-list, I'd say. Um, it's, um, and you probably long-term, get... Long-term successful mainstream American telly. Not a, mm. not a Hollywood, like... 
Not like um like a film star, but yeah, definitely like recognizable. And with that, you get a certain amount of negotiation around that. Mm. And there's, I think, maybe what I can't possibly explain what was going through her head, but you get a certain amount of negotiation about mm. that. And what you have to understand when you come over here and get involved with the royals in any way is that there is absolutely no negotiation. Oh, no. That line since Diana died, it got thicker when Diana died because they retreated and they did all the good things with the Jubilee and all the weddings. Mm. And now they don't get any of those because there aren't any left. Mm. There's nobody, there's no big things left. I mean, what's the next Jubilee? 75. I mean, you could do one every year, but it's never going to be as big as the like 75th no. Jubilee until you get to like a hundred and that's not realistically isn't going to happen no so you don't have any more of these big royal events and so you don't have any more currency to pay them with Mm -hmm. she's i mean uh, she's slightly older as well so i mean they may have another child but But you might even that is diminishing returns but even then they didn't do a big thing with that well she didn't want a big thing yeah of course yeah because i I don't know but i'm like let's say like it is it is just Endless. I was like, there was um, this, like, you know, lots of people were doing the collecting, mm. like, from it's usually the Mail or the Express. Mm. There's virtually the same story about Megan or Kate. And, like, Kate. Oh, yeah, somebody Kate collected. Tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. Yeah. Megan Markle. Experts tackle the question that's got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting, or a new age bonding technique? Why can't Megan keep, <laughs> Megan keep her hands off her bump? Um, <laughs> Yeah, just realising it. Yeah, like, like Kate is always Kate. Meghan Markle is Meghan Markle. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she chose to keep her name, which, you know, that would drive me insane. <laughs> Kate's morning sickness cure. Prince William gifted an avocado for a pregnant duchess. Then Meghan Markle's beloved avocado linked to human rights abuse and drought. Millennial shame. <laughs> It's things like that. It's like, no wonder they want to fucking leave. Megan claims avocado gives her weird sexual powers. <laughs> yeah, it's, lit- it's literally that. I mean, we've been, the thing is, we have been through this, we've been through this endlessly before. Mm. It's just never been more stark. And I think it just, it does show how the, the, tide, the tide has gone in or out or whatever on the post-Diana consensus about reporting about the royals. They've, they've just gone over a bit too much. And they're, they're, they have um, spare members now, mm. like in the eighties. With you had uh, like two, like there were two of them married, like Charles and Diana and, and Andrew and Sarah Ferguson and that. And mm. you had kind of surplus stuff. You had again yeah, that that they, they the whole plan has been for them to pair it all back, mm. and the whole point was it would be focused mainly on William and Kate and Meghan and Harry, mm. and. The media had already decided that they liked Kate because because um, she's white. You can't avoid. I mean, yeah, that that they need someone that to is hate a, in the royal because remember and when you don't have an Edward because you remember they have to make the Edward. Well, you if remember nice that black one you remember all out. the stuff about Kate first off where they were talking oh, about yeah. her like class, which was yeah. fucking weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, blackness definitely is is an is an element of that. But also, like Kate's essential. She's going to be queen one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sorry, just one of the things again. Royal wedding, how Meghan Markle's flowers may have put Princess Charlotte's life at risk. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just, it's still, it's still so breathless after all this time. Like, it's so, you wonder why we have the, the kind of stuff that you hear on the doorstep. And, like, people blame Facebook. It's like, oh, Facebook, fake news, and yeah. the breathless tones, and the, the, the kind of alarmism and the racism. Yeah. And it's like, 
They learned it from the tabloids. They learned it from all, well, all of the newspapers. Yeah. It's been the same for fucking ever, and you wonder why you have the level of kind of political consciousness that you have in this country. Mm. And it's like, yeah, we've got papers that literally talk to us like we're children. The thing is, on the plus side, and this is the main reason why I think it's it's actually really good what's happening, is like a lot of things in British society, it is illusory, like the royal family. Mm. It's It's... Not there's not really anything there. It's not and now what you that think the, it is. And yeah. As soon as they sent blood in the water and they start going at it, Harry and Meghan are core royals, mm. and now we're getting proper discussion over whether they should have any money. Yeah, and that's and once that, that's gone. What about when I don't know Prince George decides to get really into Beyblade? Are we going to start getting annoyed and start demanding to have his Beyblade taken off him? <laughs> I hope so. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I can see it. I, I don't. I think if the I think the press aren't going to be happy you, with just you, this. You know that you know with Prince George and Beyblade, we're years away from getting our first anime royal. We're years away. We might. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what I mean, though. They're, you know, they're not going to be happy with this one. They're going to want more. Once you, I mean, I, I, our media is really, really. Odd right also, now. Bored. There's, what are they going to do? Because there's, there's a whole Brexit's thing. Brexit's almost done. There isn't really a joke. Brexit is nowhere near yeah, you know almost what I mean? done. No, but it's, they've but been, the, yeah, the fo- the the yeah the, the main bit and like all the votes are going to be you know whatever Boris wants. Yeah, they're not going to say anything negative about Boris because they love him. And for now, anyway, they've got like a solid year or so before they start getting really pissed off at Boris. Yeah. And so, what else are they going to do? But you know, they'll get rid of. They'll get. They'll carry on doing horrible stories about Harry and Meghan, and then maybe they'll turn on Kate because I don't know. She buttered a scone wrong, <laughs> and that's what I'm hoping for. And then all of them can go, <laughs> apart from Edward. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, you you could probably Edward's s- so into anime. You could- <laughs> before you say that, then we are. He's definitely. Listen until I've seen proof. Until I've seen him. <laughs> Reading Doro Hidoro. So as you may have heard, uh, the election didn't go too well. Hold on. <laughs> Done yet. As you may have heard, yes. the election didn't go too well. Mm. And the tradition... Sorry, just ignoring. The search for scapegoats and reasons why Labour lost started in earnest, you know, the second. It's almost like quite a lot of organisations affiliated and around the Labour Party and the Liberal world in general had very good reasons and knew exactly why they'd lost at two minutes past ten on the, whatever it was, 13th of December. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't mind a good, hard, forensic look at, you know, what went wrong, what could have yeah, gone better, but there does seem to be a, there seems to be no consistent tone around the analysis. There's obviously jockeying for position in the leadership contest, um, and there seems to be a kind of, a lot of people seem to be caught between a, this can this can never happen again. Mm-hmm. The people that Labour need, uh, yeah, all right. Um, but there's also like a you know there's not 
it's a lot quieter, but there was a lot of there's a lot of meta problems mm-hmm. with the way politics is done that kind of really hurt Labour this time around. There's media environments, there's first past the post, all of that stuff. There also is kind of a a mixed tone as to whether we need to decide these things very fast mm-hmm. or we need to take time. I'm probably of the latter. Um, and I think, you know, the most disappointing thing to come out of this is the fact that, you know, uh, the idea of reversing the tide, bad things are happening. We need to move very quickly to go back to do what we were doing before. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, quite a lot of like managerial candidates and, and the, mm-hmm. a lot of people on the Labour right kind of offering easy solutions that aren't necessarily going to even work, even if they weren't borderline immoral. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know... Uh, we shouldn't really be on an election footing right now. Um, it seems like this kind of hastening of everything and this very intense spotlight is something of a tool by the Labour right to eliminate a lot of the analysis that would go along that would maybe, uh, you know, still have a place for the left oh, some, to to continue They immediately jumped into, like, there's a couple of them really jumping into that we personally should feel bad yeah and that we should feel horrible because of how much we've done and how much we've allowed the to- and how much we're going to allow the tories to do i do think it's interesting that the blame for what the tories do isn't on the tories or people who vote tory no because people like they're like just the i haven't seen i haven't people. seen uh much analysis of what the tories actually did mm-hmm. um could labor do that could labor do that and just do that have the same uh the same result. Well, no, the thing is, it, it, the Tories didn't win, Labour lost. That's the, that's yeah. the attitude that they've gone for. It, in, any, in any case, there's this um, real smoothing out of terrain that should be a lot more intricate and, mm-hmm. and should be done with a lot more good faith. But, of course, this is a faction fight. No matter how people talk about, oh, we need an end to factionalism, mm-hmm. except when we're purging, you know, leavers, mm-hmm. um, the left, <laughs> Stalinists, closet Brexiteers, yeah. <laughs> Palestinian solidarity activists. Um <laughs> So the other big thing that comes out right now is that Wonk's political analysts, political analysts, and all professional people associated with politics will start to look for the next big thing, which means a lot of those kind of ridicule tendencies start to reemerge. A mainly blue Labour. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main ones that has kind of been on the boil is Lisa Nandy's towns. This has become something of a meme. Yeah, yeah. She does love towns. She loves towns, and w- I was born in five towns. You were uh, well, technically four towns if you count Raynham, which I don't. Um, and so I have five times the level of towns insight uh, than you, of your average person. I wasn't even you know? born in a town. You were born in a city, and no. are therefore unworthy of even talking. Disgusting ivory tower intellectual <laughs> born in Cardiff Hospital. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I grew up in town, so we grew up in. Those, we grew those up in, towns. in all the those five towns. towns. And we got all the power that you associate with, like being around that many towns. Well, that's the argument, isn't it? That it's not power that towns have; it's insight and true authenticity. That great, great word. Um, so yeah, I mean, Lisa Nandy set up her her particular think tank is called the Center for Towns. She set that up in 2018. Um, Such a terrible name. Here's the introduction that she did when she was launching the uh, the Centre for Towns. For far too long, 
The ambitions, needs and values of 9 million people in towns across Britain have not been heard. Our economic model treats cities as engines of growth, which at best drag surrounding towns along in their wake, causing life to become harder, less secure and less hopeful for too many people in towns in recent decades. Strood had a boycott Israeli goods graffiti up for fucking years and years and years. It did, yeah. Getting put back up every time it got taken down with the council. Uh, when there was that Rochester and Strood by-election, there was a, a pretty healthy anti-fa turnout. Mm. Um, when it was the the sun, like the summer or the autumn of UKIP. It was Britain first turned up. It, it was Britain first turned up, and the weird thing was, I was going home that day, mm. and kind of turned up at the station and saw all these people in green fleeces. And it's like, what's going on here? It's like, ah, I appear to be marching with Britain first. I didn't march with them, obviously. <laughs> but they were like assembling outside the station directly yeah. as as that happened. It was really weird. Um, I mean, I do agree with their political platform, but I didn't march with them. <laughs> uh, she continues, our political system is blind to the values and experiences of people who live in our towns, wrongly treating cities as a proxy for national opinion. For far too long, towns have been ignored, patronised and labelled left behind, allowing the assets, skills and aspirations within them to go untapped and unrealised. Those assets are alive and were assets. I fucking hate that already. Uh, management talk. It's management talk. It's neoliberal talk. Yeah. It's a town is only as good as, it, as its assets. Mm. What can you monetize in your town? Um, these assets are alive and well in towns like Wigan, where the protecting the environment... At, where the protecting the environment and good public services are a priority. And skills... And skills... This was not edited. <laughs> not by me. This is her. Yeah. This is just a copy-paste. Yeah. This is not me. Um, let me start again. Those assets are alive and well in towns like Wigan, where protecting the environment and good public services are a priority, and skills, tightly knit communities, and a strong sense of shared history and identity are plentiful. With the right thinking, they hold the clue to a better future. What questions are we actually asking when we talk about towns? Like, what she, what she does there is it's a basic oppositional. Cities are places of some people, mm-hmm. and towns are places of some other people. Cities... Get the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about the fact that um, uh, cities tend to drag towns along in their wake. Mm-hmm. Cities are like cities are engines of growth, and it's like, well, I mean, that's that's a fairly strong neoliberal like facet yeah. of the neoliberal model. The neoliberal model being open up your markets, open up everything. Uh, to international corporations, the way in a post-industrial world that you. Um, get jobs in there and economic growth is you make yourself as attractive as possible with the help of central government you make yourself as attractive as possible to these frankly predatory fly-by-night corporations um and most of her most of the um stuff on the center for towns kind of reflects that that neoliberal way of looking at the world like just a couple of titles from from some posts uh she talks about the future high streets fund Remember when Theresa May said she was going to give money to high streets? Um, Our towns lag behind on foreign investment. Handing power back to towns. Identity, power and influence in the towns of England. Now that one was supposedly like a data kind of store that was based on a YouGov poll of people based around how English and British they feel. So that's like another weird oppositional. Mm. We're supposed to be 
listening, they're supposed to be listening to regional voices, mm. working out the particularity and the specificity of every single town and their local needs. But we also need to listen to how they all feel the same as each other. Yeah. It's a, a very odd kind of back and forth. Um, the final one, like she said, uh, a final kind of blog post they made, small towns are a key to a stronger economy and a more cohesive nation. City leaders from Rishi Shori in Berry to Nick Forbes in Newcastle are using municipal, community or shared private public investment mm. to kickstart growth, create revenue streams, develop skills and refound civic pride. Again, it's that language of neoliberalism. It's like your town is there to generate revenue. If you can't generate revenue, you can't do anything else. That's a pure yeah. monetarist, supply-side economics way of, of viewing those things. And like, it's just remarkable that it should be seen as this massive break, this massive new theme yeah. that she's suddenly discovered. Yeah. Um, it's very odd. And it, yeah, it seems that they're doing kind of two things in a lot of the, in a lot of the literature they put out. They're, they're kind of insinuating that there's a distinctiveness of towns versus cities, mm-hmm. first off, while at the same time saying that if these towns were doing better, they would feel more of a bond to the national body politic, which would then <clears throat> erase those differences, surely. Like, yeah. Because your political, your political attachments... I mean, yeah, you can have an attachment to both, obviously, mm. but like at some point that has to that has to, has to kind of get shaken out you either have that local focus or you have the national focus it's mm-hmm. it's it's an odd one um yeah and the second thing that a lot of these articles have is the fact that what people want has to be delivered within a neoliberal framework so more resources to attract corporations of business more retail they go on about mm-hmm. retail a lot you know maintain house prices keep the skilled young in town because that's an economic that's thing like, what are the main differences that i saw after the election was because um, ages of voters you don't get to see all those those statistics yeah, yeah. the main difference was like between a city and a town apart from you know population sizes mm. and diversity um, was age yeah because young that's people, a that is a huge thing yeah yeah young people move out of the towns to go to the city because mm. there's jobs there um, and that's a lot of the reasons why they vote the way they fucking do yeah it's there's a there's it's the same old kind of capitalist boosterism as a yeah. response to this though it's oh no we cannot disturb this particular model of doing things mm. we cannot nationalize things we cannot uh put anything into public ownership we have to keep hammering away at this same thing yeah. over and over and over yeah. again factories that can turn up amazon warehouses that can turn up and then leave yeah. whenever they want when they find a better offer and it's like PFI thing to redo a high street it goes no deeper than that it's very very surface level um it's the it's that thing of when you get down to it there are certain things that like rightist politicians won't touch that capitalist mm-hmm. politicians won't touch and those are the the key tenets that you must never ever disturb um it is quite interesting their funding Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't. They don't really get a lot of income. They declare some of it. They declare uh, donations over a thousand pounds on their website. They earn seventeen thousand uh, pounds. Two thousand pounds being from Ernst and Young, one of the big four accounting firms. Mm-hmm. Five thousand pounds from the Royal Institute of British Architects. Now this might be two. If I was being generous, I would say, well, towns are the. You know, they've got a lot of distinctive buildings. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a certain amount towards research towards protecting those kind of things keeping them economically viable and therefore not demolishing them i have an 
inkling that maybe it's more of that same capitalist boosterism. Architects do well when, you know, public works projects, uh, like um, business districts and things are putting up buildings all the time. Remember, was it, was it around the Olympics when they started? When they, you know when they do the, when they used to do the, like, we're rejuvenating the Medway Towns thing? Every yeah. so often, they used to do it all the time. Yeah. And there was the, it was when Greenwich University moved their camp, moved a camp, opened a campus mm. down near the docks. And then they were going to, there was a massive spate of fucking tower blocks went up. Yeah. So I, it's so weird, actually, because um, I was actually looking at that. Now, that was like a Blair era thing. Yeah. It was the Thames Gateway project. That was good. It was the first kind of thing. And it included like Thames Mead and, mm. and the, the, like Doc, Docklands and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it stretched out into, into Medway. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of the kind of building like a cinema and a bowling alley down in, uh, what was it, Medway Retail Park or something. Um, well, the dockyards. They, they turned a shipbuilding. Like um, but that was, the, that was, that was like a late... Into a, yeah. a bowling alley. It was like a later, it was like a later phase. Yeah. But it was, you know, based around the typical, yeah. typical things, uh, regeneration things of a bowling alley, a shopping centre and yeah. a load of luxury flats. Yeah. Um, it was very extended though because, I mean, there's houses on the banks of the Medway and Strood mm-hmm. where they've only just started those houses. Yeah. Um, like within the last year or so. Yeah, like, well, there was that, um, that whole bit where they reclaimed a load of land on one side of they have, the station yeah. and then... Um, then they had to wait, and then the company that was doing it went bust. Then there was like a nice field for a while. I think they're going to build flats on it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's weird. I'm out of touch with Bedway now, soon as my family all left there now, so now I've got no one there. <laughs> it's quite freeing. <laughs> and I mean, coming from... I just hate towns that much. <laughs> you just hate towns. the modern Labour Party. I just hate towns. This feel, it does feel like, reading through some of that stuff, it does... I mean, it's bland. the The main thing yeah. you have to realize is it's incredibly, it's, bland it's incredibly, as I say, capitalist, neoliberalist boosterism. Yeah. Um, not a new idea in oh, no. in any of it, in absolutely any of it. But they're treating it like it's unearthed gold. Um, when it comes from the liberal left, um, it's very different from the right because you can see it kind of a, as a a mirror image of Cameronism mm-hmm. of of big society stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, emphasising kind of localism and regionalism and, and people doing it for themselves. They talk yeah. a lot about like devolving powers mm-hmm. and devolving infrastructure powers, which I'm not necessarily against. But of course, if it's in service of, if the infrastructure is in service of being able to supply a business park with regular workers, yeah. it's following that same kind of logic that yeah. stuff only gets built where places are economically viable. And I mean, like half the problem with the transport uh, network in this country is that places that don't have economic viability in mm-hmm. their terms don't get the the resources that they need don't get electrified rail in the case of you know yeah. large parts of Wales yeah um, but when it comes to the liberal left um, it you can see the journey I think like Joe Kennedy probably puts it best in in authentocrats of the the basic process that that people have gone because a lot of these people they're not they're post post Blairites mm-hmm. they are concerned with the legacy that new Labour left after they uh, lost power in, in 2010. And new Labour was built around this like belief that free markets were just... like They had been proved that they were the ones, the yeah. things that were going to last. They were natural, they were efficient, unquestionably. But that they could only achieve their full potential if you had some kind of state backing, some kind of state protection for mm-hmm. people. That way you could push through more and more reforms to make these free markets perfect without 
uh, getting a lot of like um, local opposition or, or national opposition. Yeah. Right. Um, and in their in their view, although it it, it had broken with the post war consensus and embraced the free market, and they'd done a lot of like Thatcher, you know, Thatcher did a lot of a lot of good. It was necessary. It was mm. needed to be done. But basically, their view at the time was that Tories were incompetent because they were they were incompetent at managing this free market because they were backward, bigoted. They were beholden to certain sectional interests for the good of their party, and so they could never fully realise the beauty and mm-hmm. the efficiency of a proper free like free market mixed economy or whatever yeah. they were calling it. And the view when they lost in ninety seven was that the Tories lost because they were out of step with modern Britain. They were insufficiently insufficiently modern so new labor was all about embracing that newness that modernness um which involved you know the talked about tons and there's been tons of of cultural material on it but you know gentrification people moving to where they were jobs people going to the big city Mm. financialization all of those traditional streams now cut to 15 years later and there's a load of new Labour thinkers that started kind of second-guessing this logic. The free market was all well and good, but it had crashed spectacularly. And the middle class that new Labour had created to kind of... it That it depended on for its votes mm-hmm. was suddenly kind of a cultural enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than blaming the free market as such, they tried to create some space between themselves as left-wingers, mm-hmm. liberals and a resurgent Cameronism by emphasising these uh, these cultural changes. So they tried to kind of associate Tory austerity with finance capital, which is not incorrect, but they then tried to say that there's nothing wrong specifically with um, the way that they were doing things. It's just the way that it impacted people who had been left behind yeah. by themselves, by New Labour. And you can see, like, there's a lot of early, like, people like Blue Labour comes from that, Morris Glassman and um, uh, David Goodhart um, with his Somewheres and Anywheres. Yeah. Um, a lot of that literature around that time was about trying to square that circle about the free market's good, we did everything possible, but it failed, and now we have to listen to people again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really emerged after, it really started to gain kind of traction right after... Um, during uh, Ed, like Ed Miliband, yeah. um, and it emerged especially after Ed Miliband stood down after he lost in 2015, when they were really there was all this pressure to elect either like a Dan Jarvis or mm-hmm. a, a Liz Kendall, someone who could weaponize the cultural norms that the Tories were traditionally associated with, the army, patriotism, all of that, as if it's just a weapon to be wielded. Because the one thing you couldn't disturb was the free market; you couldn't yeah. disturb that logic. And they seem to have been incredibly disappointed to have Corbyn elected, um, which might have been a contributing factor in so many of them going all spiked online mm-hmm. and starting talking about weird stuff like, you know, um, the the Christian roots of European civilization and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they went off that end real quick. I think it was always there, just they fast-forwarded. Yeah. I mean, they tried to focus on these on these cultural things. They tried to focus on establishing a baseline whereby they could... I mean, Blair talked about... It was late Blairism as much as anything started talking about, you know, rights, not responsibilities mm-hmm. and cracking down on benefit cheats to kind of, again, triangulate that that easy Tory savagery mm. um, away from them. Piers Starmer was um, sorting out his thing to have benefit cheats go to prison for 10 years. Yeah. It was... It was I, 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 
I'll be honest, though, I mean, as much as you, as much as I blame Keir Starmer for doing that personally, it kind of more strikes me that Keir Starmer is the man who would do anything if somebody told him to, if somebody told him there were enough people in the party to, to, um, that supported it, he would just do it. Um, yeah, and so you can see over the last 10 years, there's been this this constant battle within the right of the Labour Party, um, against the left, but against like metropolitan liberalism, Mm -hmm. this kind of shadowy, shadowy figure hanging over everything. Um, that insists that which is where this this Towns thing comes back in because they insist that they have discovered something unique they have discovered something unheard of and by trumpeting this by by, um, propagating this by standing up for it that they themselves are somehow absolved of what they did to the working class yeah. Throughout the new Labour years, yeah. it's a, a kind of dissimulation, a, 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 a projection of who they were, who what New Labour was in its early years. Mm. It's trying to absolve themselves of that guilt. Um, but the interesting thing is, whenever they try and turn it into actual concrete, a concrete political tendency, like with Blue Labour, like with the Centre for Towns, it ends up having these still these untouchable facets and still has to be neoliberal, still has to be, at its, at its heart, exclusionary. We all know what they're talking about when they say towns versus cities. Mm-hmm. And they can deny it all they want. They can put a woman in a hijab on the front of all their PDFs. Yeah. But we know at heart what they're talking about. The coding behind it is that we used to have the suburbs. We used to have a petty bourgeois. We got rid of the Tory petty bourgeois and we celebrated this new petty bourgeois that was coming in, like the Bridget Jones generation, the Love Actually yeah. generation, those, those people. Um, that used to be Middle England. That was the most important thing. And now what we have is the white working class, which is a term that never really got much traction among the liberal left, mm-hmm. did get a lot, had a lot of traction on the right, and they own it. Yeah. And now the alt-right own it, which obviously puts their entire project of ultimately unifying those classes out of reach. They can't touch that alt-right stuff. Yeah, Unless they do and give themselves over to it completely, which someone like Lisa Nandy is, is, just can't do. I mean, yeah. personally and professionally. Yeah. Um, What's that thing of, like, even if you had, like, uh, even if you had a, a white man doing the blue labour shtick... Mm. It wouldn't work because they're never going to believe that the Labour Party are going to do it. Do no, I mean? because like, they keep... can't racist enough for them. Because also, like, if you think about if you're approaching it from this is all new to me. I mean, we, mm-hmm. like, we've been listening to about Blue Labour and the currents of the Labour Party for years, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of well, well steeped in it. Um, but if you think about somebody just coming up to it and saying, oh, there's this article about how Labour can use patriotism to win back votes. And it's like, you're literally saying it. Mm-hmm. You're literally saying... We can um, appease people by using patriotism because it's not natural to us. Patriotism isn't something that you can just pick up and use successfully. It's something that you have to like invest a shitload in to make it believable. Mm -hmm. It is 100% an illusory imagined political weapon. But if you don't have it, Mm -hmm. you don't have it. Mm -hmm. You can't just pick it up Mm -hmm. because people can see right through you. As I say, especially when you're saying, literally, we're going to use this now, <laughs> as opposed to the past when we didn't. Yeah, it's it's fucking stupid. And like, it, it, so much of the stuff around like towns as a category as well. Like, 
flattens the terrain within localities, let's say. Yeah. Like, geographical localities, let's okay. call it, right? It fails to take into account class tensions within uh, that, that's, that town. That's mm-hmm. it. I went to... Okay, I didn't technically go to a town at the weekend. I went to a city. It was Lincoln. Um, which is like a well, a much posher town now than when I left it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a university there that's put a lot of money into the town. It's got hu- uh, like a big campus in the center because they had a lot of space mm-hmm. that they could build on. And it's got a shitload of like really fucking posh shops now. Mm-hmm. And they're developing, you know, the Cornhill Quarter or, you know, that yeah. that kind of thing. Once you start quartering once you start quartering towns, you know yeah. what you know what's coming. Um and yet there has to be a class tension there. Like it's very like there are sections of Lincoln that are super fucking poor and have the imagery that you associate with the North mm. um, in terms of like deprivation and, and you know, like public services being cut and, and all that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, that's a university town. That is a specific category that's been identified and, and you know, is, is a known quantity. But like every single town has that, has a middle class structure whether they're in the center or of town or whether they're further out or living somewhere else those class dynamics mm-hmm. they're not flat it's not a working class living in towns no. and a middle cl- a metropolitan middle class living in cities mm-hmm. you know like i think it was joe kennedy again who um for a while was talking about um his theory that brexit a certain amount of the animosity around brexit was caused by clashes between like intra middle class mm-hmm. Warfare within towns, like between, like the old traditional professional classes, doctors, lawyers, things like that, and small businessmen mm-hmm. who you know more more socially conservative, more um, you know tax cutty, mm-hmm. also potentially more radical, um, mm-hmm. willing to kind of uh, be outrageous and uh, like try and do that contrarian the yeah. contrarian thing. Hence, you know Brexit. Yeah. Um, and like yeah, the, the 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 constant refrain has been, oh, these are the sort of places that Labour needs to win, as if they're homogenous places, they're all working class, and they all should be voting Labour. Well, yeah, there, there's been I've been quite annoyed at a lot of the they are essentially one place, no matter what mm. you know they are homogenous, and it's um like where we grew up is quite weird for being so many towns so squished against each other. But like me and you grew up on either side of the f- the fanciest town, yeah, of um, Rochester, and like people in Chatham are very different to people in Rochester, yeah. And what they want is very different. There was a did the you... amount of buses we had. Is very <laughs> I think so. It's a it's a weird thing uh, that um, there is even that local rivalry. Did you, I think I sent you the article. I can't. I think it was What's Chris that? Chris Green, and it was about Bournemouth, yeah, that was Bournemouth it, yeah. and Paul. Yeah, and there was this local movement with the idea that Paul is the older town, and Bournemouth yeah. is kind of the commuter hub, as it were, the residential hub. Yeah, and Bournemouth has grown massively over the last hundred years or so. And uh, traditional Poolians have been left with this whole idea that Bournemouth is somehow eclipsing them and sucking up all their resources. Yeah, what's What's common and what you can take from all the town's discourse is not an identifiable economic and social category that is applicable nationwide. It's not a universal category. What you notice is, getting a bit sued, emotional flows 
Yeah. Resentment. Resentment for something else that someone else has. Now, this is this is obviously bred right in from kind of uh, uh, the way globalization has been applied in Britain. Mm-hmm. The kind of the, like the way neoliberalism has unfolded in Britain, and especially with you know post-industrial areas. Um, and I think we were talking about it the other day when we were talking about like this impetus to uh, decentralise like institutions that are in London mm-hmm. and move them out. So you know the BBC or Channel Four, um, you know Bank of England, mm-hmm. Parliament, even moving it to another another town. Yeah. Um, and it, it did it did occur to me that like the the desperation to have that is obviously neoliberal. It's if we have something here, capital flows will necessarily come, and there'll be yeah. more money, and therefore more jobs. And that's true, but it goes alongside a certain kind of emotional thing that people perhaps wrongly felt that they had in the past, in that their town was indispensable. Yeah. Um, if you wanted like to do business with Land Rover, you had to go to Solihull. Yeah. Right, that's where the factory was. It was there. It was that was where all the infrastructure was. And short of completely demolishing all of it and mm-hmm. getting rid of all of it, um, it would always be there, mm-hmm. right? And that you know goes down to like smaller towns that is like, oh well, the pin factory's here. Yeah. If you want to do business with pins, yeah, you got to come here. Yeah, and that is like that is kind of a bit of the civic pride that they're talking about, which is yeah. in that it has direct emo- uh, economic benefits because. You can't just get rid of it. Now, Thatcher did. But (laughs) the whole idea is you can't just get rid of it. When the next recession comes, people will lose their jobs, but the thing will still be there. People will still have to come here. They'll still have to come here for our jubilee camps. Yeah. Um, And it's an idea that kind of like links both kind of fear of globalisation... They're always scared about the the kind of uh, fragmentation and and fragility of, of, of those kind of things. And of course, it clustered uh, especially in like with larger factories it kind of clustered lots of things around it towns could supply local mm-hmm. like municipal factories with with stuff and have industry development like i say it's not it's not necessarily a joy of doing business in the capitalist world but it means you've got a job it means you've got yeah. somewhere you can go yeah it's a very it's a very odd thing that only the labor party is asked to win all of these places mm-hmm. If the Labour Party decided, like, went really hard to say, we are the we are the cities party, yeah. we will win all the cities, that could potentially win them an election. Could it? They'd have to win the Scots. So. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know how the numbers work out. But They'd have to win some other things as yeah, well. Yeah, but my, my point is that with all of these differing impulses and all of these different uh, tendencies saying Labour must do this, there is that thing. Do you remember that thing on Chapo where they did about uh, Pod Save America and mm. there was a whole, oh, there's a 30% of the country that you really need to get in touch with because, you know, you need to win their votes. And it was making a point of, do you want them to win 100% of the votes? Mm. If you had a consistent 60% of the country in a two-party system, oh, God, you'll win. You'll win every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is an assumption that... Um, there is, a, for example, like London is a Labour city. There's an assumption that the Tories aren't ever going to, that the Tories don't do well here. Mm. So anything that they get is seen as a bonus, whereas Labour is seen as you need to have this and this and this. Like um, I think there's a the notion it, that you shouldn't have any enemies. Cursed. It might have been Luke Cursed. It might. It, it seems like something that he'd say. But it was like, oh yeah, so you got to win the Red Wall back. 
But you've also got to win Chatham. You've also got to keep the well. You've got to keep affluent, aspirational towns in the southeast. Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, what happens when the two priorities come into conflict? Yes. I'm not even saying they necessarily have to, because no, actually, I think, in general, they do. I think the Corbyn the Corbynista offer, the Corbyn offer, mm. as we will now call the 2019 manifesto, <laughs> I actually think the Corbyn offer was exactly. Mm-hmm. what people have been clamouring for for years and maybe didn't even know it. Like, mm-hmm. not doing another retrospective, but sticking um, green tech factories in um, ex-industrial areas to make them re-industrial areas. Yeah. But that was apparently not the solution. No, the solution is to provide more rail links so that you can get to your job in an Amazon warehouse. Yeah. There's so much stuff that's excluded when you when you take this tack and don't really reveal yourself to have underlying assumptions about the way that the economy has to work, yeah. that is what undoes all this. Mm-hmm. It's It doesn't matter about talking to people in their language. It doesn't matter because they've got the same language. They've got the same language that they want jobs and everything. That's not denying specificity, mm-hmm. but it isn't, it's also acknowledging that what people need are jobs and ec- and to be able to survive, to be able to, um, what's the reproducibility? Uh, it's like a, a, a thing, it's been a thing that's been mostly affected under austerity. People aren't able to reproduce it, reproduce their family environment. They're not able to reproduce their own families. Yeah. What's the point of, what's the point of their working lives? Yeah. If you're not going to offer that, that was always the classic offer of the, the, the welfare state, the, the post-war consensus. That was the thing that saved capitalism after the war. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's just this constant ciphering around, we're going to appeal to everyone. Here's everyone. Not yeah. acknowledging the stark contradictions, even if the towns were as like culturally and politically flat as you seem to say they are. At some point, you're going to come across a contradiction, a tension between two separate parts of your demographic. And of course, at that point, you get to come back into the new Labour triangulation. You get to do the, we're going to legalise gay marriage, but really crack down on immigration. Yeah. You get to do that thing. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just gross. And some of the language that comes around as well, like, there's, a, I mean, I don't think Lisa Nandy's necessarily said it, but like the whole of winning back working class social conservatives. I don't know how many working class people Lisa Nandy knows, right? Yeah. But working class ain't socially conservative. Um, I don't well, think no, they are. Well, no, they're not. The thing is, they're not as a homogenous group. No. There are working class well, yeah, social of course. conservatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what those working class social conservatives are? Yeah. They're conservatives. Yeah. It's like, yeah, your nan. I, I your... know, I know, like, okay, I, off the top of my head, of the kind of generation of voter that usually when Blairites go mad about, you know, trying to win people back to Labour, they're yeah. thinking about that age, of that age of my family, of the working class ones. The ones who are working class and socially conservative voted conservative in the last fucking million elections. Yeah. The ones who aren't socially conservative voted Labour. Yeah. But it's, it's also the notion that, like, yeah, okay, your nan is conservative, mm-hmm. but... Your twenty-five-year-old gym instructor cousin who does coke on the weekends <laughs> and shares pictures of like remember these sweets from the eighties. Yeah, like I feel it's very important to note that he is both twenty-five and shares eighties memes. Yes, that's a very important notion of that. <laughs> yeah, it's just this notion that like, and everyone who proposes it is always a member of the metropolitan elite. Mm-hmm. They are always oh, a liberal pleasure. elite. Lisa Nandy's um, father is an academic. Yeah. Um, one of those her grandfather of- is a literal, I think, a lord or a baron. 
It's enough. She's enough of one of those um, the the child the child of a Marxist academic who is way to the right of them. <laughs> it's why I'm not good at the book learning. So save my child from becoming a Tory. <laughs> yeah, I just I fucking hate. I think I hate actually hate post Blairites, post New Labourites more than I hate people who are still Blairites. That might seem controversial. Ones who've come to it afterwards after uh, the fact. No, the ones who are trying to resolve. Secretly and silently and subtly, Mm. the problems that they saw with with what they think Blairism was. It's like comparing the intake of 1997 with the intake of like say 2010 or 2015. So you mean like, yeah? I mean like a Luke Akehurst compared to a a Lisa Nandy or, or or someone like that, because like at least they're open like that luke akehurst comment about um oh well we have to win aspirational towns Mm. they have fetishized that subject for fucking ages Mm. but at least at some point in time it came from somewhere that actually looked at what was happening rather than adapting the the image of the nation because that's all it is it's an image Mm. to what you would prefer to happen what you the hobby horse that you feel you can ride at least blairites felt that they were part of the class that they were promoting metropolitan elite liberals or or however you want to however you however you want to like um uh phrase that at least they felt like they were championing the particular class shard that they were part of these fucking post blairites they'll make up anything Mm -hmm. they'll just keep they'll they'll keep there's this kind of tone with them that they've got to be entirely apologetic Mm -hmm. that there is some mysterious mistake that has been made in the past that only they can correct that they have the the insight and the now so it kind of hoards all of that stuff around a particular secretive think tank world and Mm -hmm. and academic world that no one is allowed to 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 practice in and doesn't really have the interaction with other like academic disciplines or analysis tools that you would expect it's all a very closed off world that you're just expected to take and is entirely is entirely dependent on the political power of the person that's speaking Mm. rather than the power of their explanation or the power of the object that they are are supposedly championing you know it kind of actually mirrors it mirrors a lot of that like the mid-2000s like art and literature and music and like there was this whole thing of like oh, I've discovered, like, Marlian blues, or I've discovered this 1920s author that wasn't as prominent when I, like, um, when they were around, when they were alive, but I've discovered it, and now it's in The Guardian, and Mm. there's a new re-released poetry selection from so-and-so. And it's like searching for Wigan Man rather than searching for Sugar Man, you know what I mean? Yeah. It says a lot more about the person who's, the political power and social power of the person who's proposing it than it does the actual explanatory power mm-hmm. of the thing that's under analysis. Because, like, this Towns thing fucking falls apart. Oh, yeah. Well, it's well. specific and universal. Mm-hmm. It's particular while erasing any particularity. You have to talk about the, the regional needs of Towns while not actually talking about any of, the need, of their actual economic needs. Mm-hmm. It's a path back into that, like, cultural explanation for, for poverty and economic discrepancy rather than... The fact that capitalism and the neoliberal system has been fucking these towns over and no one has come up with the obvious answer of maybe people should be able to do things. Maybe people should have money. Maybe people should have control over the ways that they propagate themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should have control over the way that 
their econ their local economies are run. The only way you do that is democratic and public ownership. Democratic means and public ownership, and yeah. like that's what you were just offered. Yeah, it's what was just on offer, and there's no engagement. That's the stuff that has to be purged. No, you have to make yourself attractive to Siemens. Yeah, fucking sucks. So that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.